Good morning. Today is Friday, December 30th, 2022. I want to address this morning a very heavy subject. It's very painful. It's very sensitive. When Rabbi Riskin would address a topic like this in his famous Wednesday night lectures at Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York, he would say, lock the doors. You can't leave until I finish the very end. Because if you don't hear the end of what I'm going to say, you may wildly misunderstand what I want to share. So I beg you, please listen all the way to the end. The question is, if a person has a parent who was, God forbid, Loa Lenu should never happen, but unfortunately it does happen, a parent who is abusive and the parent dies, should or must the child sit shiva? Should they observe the traditional mourning practices? Now, thankfully, this is a rare question, but it comes up. And every time, any time it comes up, it's one too many. And of course, this is a question that must be answered individually because every situation is unique. But I want to provide this morning some broad principles that will guide us through this very difficult subject. The first is that abuse takes many forms, many levels of severity, both objectively and subjectively as experienced by the child. And both of those levels, the objective experience and the subjective experience, are important to answering this question. So let's start by posing a few scenarios. Let's say it's a situation where a child simply has no contact with a parent throughout their entire life. For example, a child was adopted as a very young child, and the child may know who the biological parent is, but no connection, nothing bad, nothing good. Now, Depending on the circumstances, the child may have uh, resentment at the lack of contact or relationship. Could be yes, could be no. Every situation is unique. Nevertheless, in this case, where the issue is the absence of the parent in the child's life, Jewish law is clear that the child, when the parent passes away, the child should sit shiva. The child should mourn in a traditional way in accordance with Jewish law, even if it is only for having received from this parent the gift of life and nothing more. There's another scenario, and there are an infinite number of variations within this category. When the relationship between a parent and child is not good, the parent was too tricked, the parent was emotionally absent, there was conflict, there was constant arguing. 
In those kinds of circumstances, a child should try, but emphasis on try, to put it behind them. We did not have a good relationship, but it's over. I'm not going to forget the negative parts of it, but at least let me try to remember those positive parts. I'm going to try to put it behind and sit shiva and mourn in accordance with Jewish custom. The real question is in more severe cases, God forbid, cases of sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. So, let's divide this into two. Let's say the parent at a certain point in his or her life does teshuva. They repent. They change their behavior. They recognize the depth of what they did wrong. They express regret to the child for what they had done and they beg the child for forgiveness. Then, if the child is able to accept that, and that is not an easy question in and of itself, and I'm not giving any guidelines on whether that should or should not happen, that depends on the individual situation. But if you are able to accept that repentance, then when the parent passes away, it would be the right thing to sit shiva and to mourn for the parent. The most difficult case is where there was horrible, traumatic abuse with lasting physical and emotional scars and the parent did not repent, did not ask for forgiveness, did not own up to the terrible crimes they committed. So Rabbi Usher Weiss addresses this question. And before I quote him, let me say that I respect Rabbi Usher Weiss tremendously. I've quoted him to you many times. His words that I'm going to quote may express a theological truth, but practically, I don't think the path he suggests is suitable or realistic for almost all of us. But here's what he says. He writes, Even if the children, because of the abuse they suffered at the hands of the parent, cut off all contact with the parent during his lifetime, once the parent has died, the time has come to draw a line on the past and to forgive and to accept as forgiven. Because me'ata 
from this moment, the moment that the parent dies and is no longer in the physical world, the person's judgment once they pass away is to be executed exclusively by the God of all souls, by Hashem. When a person passes away, their neshama comes before God. God holds us accountable for all of our actions, rewards us for our mitzvos, punishes us for our sins. The punishment we receive for the sins that we committed is worse than anything we can imagine. And so once the person has been transferred to the court of heaven, that is where the punishment will take place. And at that point, the person who committed these terrible, terrible sins and crimes has to answer to only one judge, the one judge. The Kael Emunahu. And God is a God who is faithful. The Einovel. And God does not make mistakes. The Chaldrachav Mishpat. And all of his ways are just. God will treat this person with justice. Nothing will be overlooked. What exactly is due to him is what will happen to him. And therefore, if the mourners have this faith and this understanding that this is what is happening, then that should be something that allows themselves to, to, to free themselves, to be able to mourn, to sit shiva, knowing that the case has been transferred to a higher court. No one gets away with anything. And the ultimate punishment will be given. Now, of course, this is theologically true. Every one of us is held accountable after our lives. No one escapes God's judgment. If a person is able to reach this level and sit shiva with equanimity, and faith, and emotional calm, they should be blessed. But I don't think this is the proper advice for most people, almost all people. I don't think most people are capable of that. I think most people in this situation if they were to sit shiva, it could cause tremendous emotional harm to them, bringing up the most pain and suffering they have known and to cause deep mental anguish. And in that case, I think the proper approach starts with the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Isselis, writing in Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. Listen carefully to the Code of Jewish Law. It has been relevant for us recently in a different context, but let's see how it will apply to this context. 
Says the Rama. Bishas Hadever. During a time when there is a plague, an epidemic, and it's dangerous for people to be in the same house together, it's dangerous, physically dangerous for a person to be around other people. And this was relevant during COVID for part of the time. Ain Miss Ablim. We do not sit Shiva. Shiva is waived. Mishum Isusa because of fear. Says the Arach HaShulchan. Bevadai im yesh pachad if there is even the possibility of fear that by sitting Shiva I might come into a situation that I might be putting myself into danger. This is as if it is the possible threat to life. And it appears to me, says the Yarkha Shulchan, that for anyone who might become sick, even if not deathly sick, if sitting Shiva adds to feeling bad, to being sick, ain lo lihis abil. A person should not sit shiva. That comment, those two comments are clearly within the realm of physical illness, but as we have shared many, many times, it is a clearly established principle in Jewish law. De ein ben tzara de gufalitzar nafshi. There is no difference between sickness of the body, sickness of the soul, sickness of the emotions. And so, if a person sitting Shiva would feel emotionally vulnerable, it would bring back terrible thoughts. It would make them relive horrible experiences. If it would cause that, then they should not sit Shiva or engage in other morning practices. Again, obviously, each case is individual and must be evaluated on its own merits. May God protect us from this kind of terrible harm. And we as a community must also take steps to be aware, to recognize the signs of when abuse may be happening, and to intercede, if necessary, with professional guidance to stop or prevent any type of abuse. My friends, I want to wish you a great Shabbos, and I look forward to seeing you soon in person.